0: Welcome to Red Rocks Church. If I haven't met you, my name's Ethan. I would love to meet you after service. And like Doug said, pat yourselves on the back for being at church during ACL. You are one of the good ones. A little bit surprised that Mumford & Sons didn't come to church and check out Red Rocks while they were in town. Maybe next time. But glad that you're here. Uh, We're going to jump straight into this series. I don't really want to mess around. I just want to get straight to it. Uh, Tonight, Religion Rehab, I've been so pumped to jump into this series because what I'm seeing happening in our church right now is people saying there's places of bitterness, there's places of anger, there's baggage that I've been carrying around for far too long, and it's time to get to the core of those things and deal with it so I can become whole and healed and move forward from those things. Christians can be known for carrying around a lot of stuff, can be known as critics. Christians are skilled critics. And what we're saying as a church in this series is, no, 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 no. We're not going to go point out a bunch of problems and be bitter and angry. We're going to be the solution. We're going to point people to hope and to joy. I think the world looks so often at the church and it's like, hey, whenever you guys are done bickering and disagreeing and complaining and judging and critiquing, whenever you're ready, us, the world out here, we would love to know this hope that you have. We would love to know this solution, this Jesus that you get together and, and praise and talk about. we love that. And so we're saying in this series as a church, hey, there's a reason, there's a reality to why we have things in our lives that hold us back. There's a reason you have baggage when it comes to church and religion. So let's get to it, and let's work through it, and let's heal. And healing is really the, the word that describes this entire series, what's happening. And stories like Allison get me so fired up. Because healing is happening in this place. And and so tonight we're talking about repentance. And you're like, gosh, I I skipped ACL to come to church and I have to listen to a sermon about repentance? Seriously? Thanks, God. Thanks. That's how you repay me for showing up to church. But I actually believe tonight uh, will be a breath of fresh air for you. And that it may redeem this word for you. That's my hope and that's my prayer. It could be said well in a quote by a pastor named John Mark Comer. Healing starts with repentance, which most of us would hear and disagree because of the baggage that we carry with that word. Ryan and I were talking about this series that's been kind of building on itself in this process of healing, um, that forgiveness, Ryan said, forgiveness is letting them off the hook. Repentance is letting me off the hook. And I hope that happens in this room tonight. Some of you guys have been hearing some of these things in this series, like, yeah, there's been some external stuff and some church baggage and things that people said and did, but I kind of feel like in my faith journey, I'm the problem here. Like, I need some work here. There's some stuff going on here, and I need help. And if that's you, you're not alone. That's been my faith journey. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the title of this message, The Rhythm of Repentance. The Rhythm of Repentance. And I'm going to give you that rhythm from the beginning so that you can track with me, because we're, we're going to go all in tonight. We're going to journey together. We're going to discover this rhythm. You guys are the last server, so you're getting everything left in the tank. And here's the rhythm. Remember, recognize, run, rejoice, repeat. And I believe as this rhythm starts to be the way we live, that you will be refreshed and renewed. Is that enough? words that start with R for you. I had to top Doug last week. He had all these P words, alliteration. So, so I had to top him with my R words. And here's the deal. We use alliteration, and you guys are like, what's, what's the deal with that? It's stupid. Why do you guys have to like start everything with the same letter? We're trying to get you to remember what we talk about. We're trying to make it easy for you to be like, the rhythm of repentance. Everything started with an R. Maybe I can remember those words instead of walking out of here and being like, what did that guy even talk about? He was like an idiot college guy. And then some repentance thing started happening in his life or something about Jesus. I don't know. That's why I don't go to church. I don't even remember what the guys talk about. So I'm giving you that rhythm because I want you to remember and I want you to apply it to your lives. And I believe that for some people in this room, hopefully all the people in this room, that tonight will mark a moment that changes your relationship with God, the way that you view him, the way that you view sin, the way that you view dealing with it. Not because I've wordsmithed it to be this rhythm, but because it's something that God has woven into the fabric of our relationship with him from the beginning and intends for it to be refreshing and renewing. So let's start in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. We'll start with Jesus. Mark gets straight to the action. So Jesus' ministry is starting in this moment, and here's what happens. After John was put in prison which is John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus led with repent. It's one of the first things he said to people. So there's got to be something more to this. But for a lot of us, we hear repentance and we've got all kinds of baggage and connotations. And I think before we get to what the heart of what Jesus was saying is, we need to first look at the baggage and just call it what it is. Most of us here repent or repentance, and you picture that megaphone guy outside the football game with the sign, repent or die, or turn or burn or something, and he's screaming in his megaphone, you're all sinners, you're all going to hell, you're all terrible, you better repent. Before you get in that car, it could be your last day on earth, you better repent, because you're awful, and you're like look, man, I was just having fun with my friends at a football game. Leave me alone. Or maybe you're like, hey, my team just lost. I'm already in a dark enough place. Maybe you could just leave me alone right now. And while we brush that aside, I think that that does tweak something in all of us. There's anger or there's wanting to just like run as far away as we can. And what it's tweaking, I believe, is our fear of our standing with God. Because very likely, you may ignore that guy, but in your life, it was a church or a pastor or a parent, a mentor, somebody in your life that held that sign over you all the time, maybe for a large portion of your life, reminding you always, you're sinful, you're awful, better repent, better figure this out and hope that God might still love you, and it led you and has led you into a relationship or religion that's based around fear, or maybe because that's what somebody kept reminding you of, you just said, you know what, forget it. Forget this whole sin thing and this God thing and this relationship, and you're just ignoring it altogether. Even not in a faith context, where some of us as kids, or all of us probably, we can relate to getting in trouble. You do something you shouldn't do, and what are you supposed to do? Go tell your parents. When my wife uh, we were sitting on the couch and she was like, "What are, what are you preaching on this weekend?" And I said, "Repentance." She literally squirmed on our couch. She was like, "Oh, I was like, what happened there?" She said, "I don't know. Just hearing that word, I felt like a little kid who did something wrong that needs to go tell my mom right now." And so as a kid, you do something wrong, and you go tell your parents, and a good parent would sit with you and they'd help you see, "Hey, that wasn't the best path for you. There's a better choice." There's consequences for what you did, but let's, let's grow from this. Let's learn from this. And you might actually leave that interaction built up and encouraged and to fall forward and to learn from it and to move onto a better path for your life. The problem is that most of us, most people, when we fest up to something, we're met with anger, disappointment, somebody shaking their head, maybe even neglect or abuse because you did something wrong. And what you determine is, hey, if my good or bad behavior determines how people view me, then I'm going to hide the bad stuff. I just won't say anything anymore. I'll just keep it here. And that gets transferred into our faith, right? Like when I was in college, I started exploring what is a relationship with God and do I believe in God and what does this look like in my life? It made sense to me logically to have this like repentance moment where I would come to him and say, hey, man, it's been a while. A lot of bad stuff has happened that I'm sure you're not too happy with, and my fear was that God would hear that kind of stuff and be like, get out of here. Like, how dare you even say those things? I'm in heaven. We don't talk like that, let alone having done those things. Get out of here. It made sense to me. Like, I need to have this moment with him and maybe try to square up, but it was totally rooted in being afraid of how he would perceive and view me based on what I'd done wrong. And for some people in this room, I believe that tonight is your night, that that relationship with Jesus is going to start. Maybe you've never wanted anything to do with him. You don't even know why you're in this room right now. He's calling to you. And I believe what's going to happen is that you're going to be so far better off starting the relationship than I was because you're going to have a much better understanding of repentance and sin. And I'm going to come back to that at the end of this message, but I want you to just listen for the heart of God in dealing with sin and what repentance truly is. So I had that come to Jesus moment, raise your hand, pray the prayer, whatever you want to call it, salvation moment. And then I'm hearing, okay, repentance is like a part of faith. It's something that you you do as a Christian, which made no sense to me. I'm like, okay. I need to come to God and tell him all the bad stuff I did. Like, why would I remind God of that? I'm just trying hard to get him to like me. Why would I remind him of the bad stuff I did? And by the way, if we're really thinking about it, if he's God, I'm going to come to him and we're both going to pretend like, surprise, this happened. Like, he doesn't already know. Like, if Santa knows when I'm sleeping or I'm awake, I'm sure God knows that here I am in college. I got blackout drunk this past weekend. I punched a guy in the face. I said something terrible. I made a fool of myself. I slept with a girl like, okay, uh, yeah, here it is, God, you didn't already know. What's the point of telling him all that stuff? He already knows. He's probably already mad at me. The other thing that I didn't understand is I'm hearing in church, his grace is sufficient for you. So, so I had that moment, which means like the perfect sinless blood of Jesus was shed to pay for my sin. He was the sacrifice to cover all of our sin. So Jesus took the punishment and the death that we deserve for our sin onto himself and he transferred transferred his righteousness to us. So when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So why do I need to go tell him then the sin stuff? What's the point of that? Am I like doubling up? Is this uh, making sure he can keep washing me white as snow? Is this to avoid this awkward moment when I walk up to the pearly gates and they're like, hey, so we just ran your file. Uh, Unfortunately you never disclosed spring break 2010. <laughs> and there was some thought stuff going on, and you said some things that you never told anyone. You never told us, so unfortunately, we can't, we can't let you in. Like, is that the point of this? I'm going to pray this prayer to God, like, every once in a while. Hello, God. Uh, I cheated on a test. I lied to my parents. I said something terrible about my friend just to get a laugh. I'm really not eating healthy here in college, which in my house growing up kind of felt sinful. We ate a lot of fruits and vegetables, and I don't know if that's a sin, but that's an easy one to tell you about. I'd love to talk about that, not the other stuff, right? Because when we pray, our prayers of repentance, we're suddenly like, Hello, Father up above, hallowed be your name. Good talking with you tonight. Lord, I would just like to mention and ask for your forgiveness, for I have been lustful. The words of my mouth have not been pleasing unto you. Forgive me. Signed, Ethan Gabriel Matat, the first. And God's like, oh yeah, okay, suddenly you're a Harvard grad. You're like, got your PhD and you're so eloquent in your prayers to me because you don't want to say what's really going on in your life because you're ashamed of it. That's how we pray. So I'm wrestling with, like, okay, I'm a Christian, and I know that God has a, a life for me. I'm supposed to be living, but there's this stuff in me, this sin. I don't really know what to do, but I don't really get the point of this repentance thing. And that kind of led me to one of my first theological conversations as a college student in Boulder, Colorado, in the back of a pickup truck, holding a keg with my buddy Ryan. And not this Ryan. Uh, Ryan, actually, him and his wife sometimes watch these from California, So Ryan and Kristen, we love you guys. Ryan, I'm not throwing you under the bus right now. Thank you for helping me make a memory, as you would say. So Ryan and I are holding up the keg because you don't just leave a keg by itself in the back of a truck because if it tips, then it's just going to be straight foam for the whole party. So we're serving the people that we're about to go to this. We're like soldiers, you know. We got this. And in this moment, I decided this would be a great time to have a theological conversation about this sin stuff in my life. Because we drove past Ryan's church that I knew he went to, a Catholic church. And I was like, hey, you're Catholic. What's the deal with this Catholic stuff? What's the deal with confession? Like, why do you have to do that? Now, remember, I'm just holding all this into myself. Sin is like this unspoken for me. Why do you have to do that? And Ryan said something so profound. And this is the moment in my life where seeking to find the rhythm we're talking about tonight began. He looked at me, and he had thought about this before. It wasn't like, wow, what a theological stumping question. C.S. Lewis or Ethan? Like, amazing. (laughs) He goes, hey, I get what you mean. And quite honestly, I don't feel like I have to do this, but I go to confession. I choose to because if I don't, I'll never confess anything. And I want you to hear the heart behind what he was saying because the heart of that is what spoke to me. I know there's people in this room right now that me bringing up denominations and things like confession I know there's baggage stirred up right now. This is about rehab. So I'm okay to bring up places where you're like, that makes me mad or uncomfortable. There's been damage because the point is healing. And likely you experienced a method of fessing up confess- confession that wasn't handled well. A lot of us, whether it's in a church context or with a person that you trusted, it didn't go well. But just because the method wasn't handled well doesn't mean the heart behind it was wrong. It actually says in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, what? You may be healed. And you may say, well, that's not what happened. And that's why you're in this room tonight. So that I can be rehabbed in your life and you can see the heart of God and not how human beings mishandle the methods because they're always going to be imperfect because it's got our fingerprints on them. But I hope that you hear the heart of God tonight. And what I got from what Ryan was saying was, hey, there's a needed action here. This stuff that I'm wrestling with, like there's something I've got to do. I've got to get involved in this. I've had this hollow, silent misunderstanding of dealing with sin in my life and it's kept me in this guilty, shameful cycle. Maybe you can relate to where I was at. I was so confused and frustrated. Like, I know that some of this stuff is not good for me. I know it's not God's plan for my life. And yet, it keeps just grabbing me back. Why? I'd become so isolated with my sin. I wasn't letting anybody else in on the battle with me. I was letting it grow and fester all alone with it. And I may have said I'm battling it out with it. But really, I was just living in a dysfunctional, codependent partnership with sin. And all it, all it had to do was just keep growing. The other problem was, I figured, well, I've kind of outthought this idea. I don't see the point of it. And the less seriously I took repentance, the less seriously I took sin. So it just hung around. And I'm realizing, with Ryan in the keg, i got to do something here. If I want new life, i got to do something. And maybe repentance... Maybe it's actually for me, not for God. Like, God does know everything, and Jesus took all the power from sin and death, right? He conquered it. So maybe it's for me that he doesn't become more powerful over sin if we repent. It's that sin becomes less powerful over us when we do. It's for us. It's a gift. And Jesus, he started the whole deal off, right? Repent repent. So if Jesus led with that, then we can't outthink it. We shouldn't avoid it. So let's rehab it together tonight. We're going to go from the, the reasoning behind holding up a keg in the back of a truck to a biblical word study. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. We're going to get to the, the foundation of the rhythm of repentance. So our English word repentance traces back to the Bible, to the Old Testament, where the idea is introduced. And the word for, that we get, the root that we get the word repentance from is shuv. Or you might hear teshuva. And the definition is to turn, to return, to return home. So what happened was that was the word that the Hebrew people knew. That got translated then into Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek and their word was metanoia. And then that got translated to English, repentance. But I have a feeling that you're like, well, that's not the same connotation or idea I have about this word. And it's awesome to put ourselves into the mindset of the people hearing Jesus say that. Because Jesus was Jewish, speaking Hebrew to a Jewish audience. So he's saying, Shuv, to shuvah. And they're not hearing this like, ooh, go tell your parents you did something wrong. They're being told, it's time to turn home. And for the Hebrew people, what was home, ultimately? The Garden of Eden. Eden, meaning delight. The beginning. Where God said, I made you in my image. I called you very good. That's their picture that they're getting in this moment A lot of us have Genesis 3 theology when it comes to sin, which is the part of the story where Adam and Eve fall, and sin enters the world and fractures that relationship between God and man. We think, well, it's just kind of this inescapable part of life, like we live in a fallen world, right? So, you know, it is what it is. The problem with that is Genesis 1 and 2. The problem with that is God's intention for our relationship and our life with him, which is one of shalom peace, like the garden relationship, wholeness, health, healing. That's the theology that we should have. It's not like Genesis 1 and 2 is in there to torture us, like, well, it could have been good, but you guys screwed it up, so thanks a lot. No, 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 it's a picture to tell us, no, 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 this was the intention, and this is why Jesus came, because that's being restored to you. Jesus died so you could have Genesis 1 and 2 theology and not be defined by Genesis 3. So we shouldn't be afraid of coming to God with the sin in our lives. We should be afraid of how okay with sin we are. But I know in those dark moments where you feel disgusting and dirty and shameful, like, I'm not going to God. He doesn't want anything to do with me right now. You wouldn't believe what happened or what I did or what I said or what I think. Which is why this rhythm has to start here. It has to start with remembering where you came from. That's the first part of our rhythm. Remember where you came from. Remember that God calls you his son or daughter. Remember that he created you in his image. Remember that he calls you very good, and his intention for you is peace and wholeness and health and relationship with him. It has to start there because repentance starts with your identity far before it deals with your actions. But most of us are so, so ready to just get to the bad stuff and feel so shameful. I'm a Genesis 3 person, but you're not. That's not who God created you to be. And so you've got to start with your identity and get that right. So then you can keep going in this rhythm. Which brings us to the next part. So one, remember where you came from. The next part, recognize your sin. So we're going to transition now. We're going to go to three poignant moments in Scripture that speak to me and I think will speak to you through three of the people I relate to the most in the Bible to discover the rest of this rhythm. And if, if we have this idea right, if we remember where we came from, then that allows us to know who we are, our identity, and look at sin and see it for what it actually is. It's like if you found out that your favorite food had this deadly chemical in it that was killing you, which is probably true for all of us because we live in the United States of America. <laughs> if you found that out, As a person who's striving to be healthy, whole, and healed, what would you do? You would cut it out of your diet. So it should be with sin that we say, no, 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 my identity is that I'm a healthy, healed, whole person. So I'm going to cut this disease out. I see it for what it is now. It's not my partner in crime. So recognize your sin. And, And let me say, I think it's healthy. It's healthy sometimes to feel the weight. Like, there's consequences to sin. There really is and Sometimes it's healthy to feel the weight. The problem is that most of us never let go of that weight. That guilt and shame just stay on us for our entire lives. So you've got to recognize the sin so that it can get out. And King David is a beautiful picture of that. And you're like, oh, yeah, David, he reminds you a lot of yourself, slaying giants, winning battles, the golden boy of Israel, the great king. Like, wow, I really can't tell you and him apart random, generic 2019 guy. I get it. He's a cool dude. Me, not so much, but where I relate to him is in his failure, and I want to relate to him in how he responds. I want to be a man after God's own heart like he is. And I see it more than anywhere else in the battles he won and the humility he had and the patience he had and the uniting of a kingdom and bringing the presence of God in Jerusalem. I see a man after God's own heart the way he repents. So you probably know the backstory of David and Bathsheba. The men go off to war and David stays behind. And while they're gone, he sleeps with Bathsheba, who's married to another man. To cover it up, he has her husband killed. So David's in about the darkest moments of his life. He's like, how did I get here? I was God's chosen, anointed king. I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm supposed to be a man after God's own heart. How did I get here? And he's kind of wrestling, and he's isolated with his sin. And this guy, Nathan, this priest who's hanging around, he has the boldness to confront David and call him out on it. Bold. And it's in David's response that I see this man after God's own heart. Because he's the king. He could have this guy killed, sweep the whole thing under the rug, and nobody could say a word to him about it. But instead, 2 Samuel 12, 13, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. That may sound so simple, but that is so profound that he just recognizes it. He calls it what it is. To another person, an inferior He says, I have sinned against the Lord. You're right. I recognize that this happened. I got to do something. I can't tell you how important it is in your life to have people that you can get stuff out to. Moments in my life where I like shuddered at the words that were coming out, but I knew I need to say something. The darkness needs to get brought to the light. And I would say to Doug or Ryan, man, this happened. Or I feel like I'm just far off. I've gotten on this path. I don't even know where I'm at right now and being met with, hey, man, all right, now we know. Now we can help you. Let's get this back to the light. Let's get this back onto the path home. Let's remember who you are. Let's recognize this, and let's move past it. You need that in your life. You need that. So David brings it to the light to another person, and then he bears it all before God. He's not hiding anymore. He's not isolating anymore. He writes Psalm 51. The most profound and beautiful psalm, in my opinion. It's a psalm of repentance. After this has happened, David writes this. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Skip to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You can hear David pleading, saying, God, I can't clean myself. I can't overpower this on my own. He's desperate to be healed. He's desperate for God to come in and get this out of him. That that word for wash, wash me, we picture like a high-efficiency washing machine, like a soapy hot tub for your clothes. They didn't have that back then. If there was a stain in your clothes, they They had to get after it to get it out. That Hebrew word for wash, kabak, means to trample. And I read that. I read that translation. I was doing like a word-by-word study through this psalm. It's how desperate I was to figure out this rhythm of repentance. And I found out the meaning of that trample, and I ran to Doug and Ryan. They were close by. I was like, guys, David is saying, God, trample the sin out of me. And they're like, why are you excited about that? That doesn't sound enjoyable at all. David's putting into words here how so often in my life i felt so desperate. God, I don't want this in me anymore. The consequences, the sin itself, get it out, whatever it takes. I started to have some righteous anger about this death that was festering and growing in me. If the wages of sin is death, then get it out of me. And that's what David's saying right here. I want to be healed. I want to be whole, and I can't do it on my own. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Skip to 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. God, give me a new heart, a steadfast spirit. I may be the king of Israel, but if I don't have your spirit, I've got nothing. Restore to me the joy of salvation. How many of us in this church, in this room right now, need the joy of salvation restored to us? And he's saying, I can't make up for it. I can't do enough good to get back into good standing with you, God. All I can give you is my broken self. And God... Like Doug was talking about, when we pray for real, when we're real about stuff with God, cut the flowery language and tell him what's going on, God's like, I can work with that. I can heal you. I can make you whole. I will get that stuff out of you. Let's go to work now. Are we done just kind of isolating with this? Are we done just ignoring this whole thing? Like, let's go. You want to be free? You want to be healed? You want to be whole? I'm in the business of that. And David knows it. He knows too well who his father is and who that means he is to just... Let that be the definition of his life. A man after God's own heart, defined by not how he sinned, but how he repents it. And what he's crying out for, we need a cure for this disease, God. Cure us. He's crying out for the guy a thousand years later who walks up and says, repent and believe the good news. The cure is walking around telling people, it's time to turn. It's time for a kingdom life. It's time for a new way of doing things to a people that knows all too well what it's like to wander off on their own path and then come back and then go and turn and go and turn. They know it well. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's deal with this sin issue once and for all. So he does. He goes on the cross and he sheds his blood for you, for your sin that you have committed and that you will in the future. He deals with it. And he walks out of a tomb and says, okay, here's my resurrected life. Now go live that. Now let's go on that path together. You want to recognize this stuff? I'm the cure for it. So let's go to work. So that means that now sin's only power is in your willingness to let it stick around. Jesus has all the power over it. We're the only ones who keep feeding it. So you remember where you came from. You recognize your sin and then what? You run home. Run home. I'll explain what I mean. Another guy that's easy to relate to in the Bible is Peter. But He denies Jesus. He makes this mistake. He he lives this selfish, weak moment, and then he's just kind of walking around with the weight on his shoulders, and we find him in John 21. Jesus has risen from the dead, and Peter, he's fishing. He's gone back to his nets. He's gone back to his old way because he forgot who he was and figured that sin had won in the end. And Jesus walks up on the shore and there's this beautiful moment of repentance. John 21, 7. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, meaning John in the boat, say, it is the Lord who's on the shore. It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. For me, this is a picture of what it means to run home as Peter splashing in that water. We may remember where we came from and we may recognize the sin, but we may still feel this distance between us and God. And Peter gets it in this moment. He's like, no, 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 that's not who I am. That's, that's not who Jesus said I was. He's remembering the moment that he dropped his nets for a new way of life. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to that. And he's splashing his way. He's running to Jesus. That should be our posture to run to him. And, and I love this, this picture because... A little while later, in Acts chapter 3, Peter is leading the church, and he's giving his first sermon. A bunch of people are listening, and he tells the backstory of Jesus and his death and resurrection and salvation, what that means, and then the message turns practical. And what does Peter say? Acts 3, 19 through 21, he starts with repent, the same thing that Jesus led with, then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. You're like, refreshment? Refreshing? What's Peter talking about? My experience with repentance hasn't been very refreshing but Peter knows how refreshing this rhythm of repentance really is because it feels a lot like jumping out of a boat on a hot day when you're fishing in the cold water and splashing your way to shore to your Savior. Refreshing. And Peter's getting at something here when it comes to running home that's so important that you hear. That repentance actually should pull us forward. We always think of it pulling us backwards, like, yeah, we're going to backtrack to how I messed up. and. And I feel like I haven't even actually made any progress in my faith or my relationship with God now that I realize and what I did and oh, I'm just back at square one. Why did I even do this in the first place? It may feel like where you came from is a distant memory when it comes to delight and peace with your relationship with God. It's like, well, maybe, you know, it once was that way, but I don't know if it can be now. But Peter wasn't swimming to backtrack with Jesus. Jesus. He was swimming with this identity foundation in him, knowing where this all started with the hope of where this is all going. Running home is not turning to run backwards towards a dream that once was. It's running into the future with Jesus towards the home that awaits. So run home. Remember, recognize, run knowing that Jesus will restore all things, run towards a home in a day when every tear will be wiped away, when death and sin and pain will no longer have any place in all of existence. Run on the path with him towards that. That's what Peter was swimming into. The last part of our rhythm is embodied perfectly in the story that's the heartbeat of this church. It's our favorite story that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's the prodigal son. And if you've never heard it, the concise version is that this son goes to his still living father and demands his inheritance early, takes the inheritance and goes and spends it on a wild, crazy, sinful life. And he finds himself, the consequences of what he's gotten himself into, the path that he went on, lands him with pigs eating next to them. And he has this profound moment where he remembers where he came from. and He's like, no, Wait. I had a home, a good father, a family to laugh with, land to live off, meals to eat, laughter. Like, that's where I came from. And then he recognizes his sin. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just, I'm just going to tell my father, like, what's happened. I'm just going to get it out to him and hope that maybe he'd let me be his servant because there's no way I'm back in the family ever again after what I've done. It's just been too painful and too bad. And there's this beautiful moment where the repentance is happening that we kind of breeze past. Luke 15, 20, the first part. So he got up and went to his father. Somebody in this room, all you needed to hear tonight was just get up and go to your father. Because what happens? He's running home and his father comes running out to meet him. And he hugs him and he kisses him and he gives him a ring and a robe. And the son's like, what are you doing? He's baffled. Hold on, I have a speech prepared for you, Father. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. What are you doing right now? And the father's like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. You're always my son. You wandered off on a path that wasn't life for you, but you're back. You're home now. And what the son's realizing in that moment, as the father's like, I don't need your speech, man. You're home. Is that the confession or the speech part? The recognizing of his sin. It was not for the father. It was for him. To recognize his sin so he could recognize his need for his father's grace. And the father's like, All right, you're home now. And then what happens? They throw a party, which is the next part of our rhythm. Rejoice. Rejoice. You're like, I've never rejoiced after one of those repentance prayers you were talking about. I felt a lot worse, actually. But we can rejoice because this isn't some awkward apology. This is a homecoming party. So you remember where you came from. You recognize your sin. You run home. You rejoice because Jesus has made it possible to run with him towards that home and to be restored, not just then, but today. And then you repeat because this is a rhythm. It's not like once a semester or every quarter. It's a rhythm of life. Are you worn out? Are you tired? Are you burnt out from religion? Are you at the end of your rope because you just feel like you've gone way too far and this stuff just has control of you? Come to Jesus and what would he say? Repent. It's time you remember who you are and where you came from. It's time we, we get this stuff out and we deal with it. You run to me into the, the path that I'm laying out for your future and let's rejoice so you'll be refreshed, like Peter said, and I believe if you live in this rhythm that you'll also be renewed. That word shuv in the Hebrew got translated into the Greek, and their word was metanoia. And how they would hear that, that definition for them was to change your thinking, or as Paul would say in Romans twelve two, the renewing of your mind. So as you live in that rhythm, your mind starts to get renewed. So that sin, that anxiety, that depression, that darkness, that pattern, that powerlessness, that pain, it has less and less power because your mind's literally getting renewed to see it for what it is and say, no, 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 that doesn't have the power over me anymore. Jesus does, and he conquered that. Your mind gets renewed. Your soul, you get refreshed in this rhythm of repentance, and that's why we repeat. So in this room... Some of you are like, hey, I don't really have some crazy keg story or thing going on in my life right now. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything just terrible. Well, don't wait for that moment to start living in this rhythm. Please don't. In fact, it doesn't have to be some, like, crazy bad thing. It might just be for me right now, like, one of the areas where I feel like I'm just kind of off track is I'm just so distracted all the time. All the things going on, all the notifications, and, and the first thing to go is my quality time of just sitting with God and remembering who I am, and that he wants to spend time with me. And so I'm telling you guys that tonight because I just wanna get back on the path to relationship with him that's just healthy and it's whole and it's healing. For some people in this room, something happened to you that you had no choice in, that's caused a lot of pain and a lot of damage, or maybe there's something that has control of you that you, you are powerless, too or you feel powerless too like depression or anxiety and you've heard in a church context you need to repent that thing how insensitive and nonsensical is that to tell somebody to go apologize for something that they didn't have a choice in in the first place or that they didn't ask for or can't control but but that's not what repentance is after all is it if repentance is a rhythm of healing then it's exactly what you should do because it's time that you realize that you're not defined by what happened to you. That your identity is not that person who this horrible, horrible thing happened to, but your identity is a son or a daughter of God who he created in his image and calls very good. That that disease, that thing that has control over you, no, 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 that's not who you are. You've been wiped clean. You've been given the perfect blood of Jesus. No, no, no. You're not defined by a disease or a sickness or a thing that has control and hold on you right now. You're defined by the power of Jesus over that. So get it out. Say it for what it is. Get some trusted people around you. Talk about it. Go to a counselor. Be real with what's happened so that you can be healed. And don't let there be any gap. Run to Jesus, because guess how long your run is to him right there? I've been here the whole time. That's what he's saying to you. Some people in this room, you had that moment with God where you like raise your hand or you prayed a prayer and you, you know, you're a Christian, but you have just felt distant from him pretty much the whole time because of a misunderstanding of this concept, because of sin in your life and feeling like I can't go to him. He doesn't want to hear from me. He doesn't like me. It's time tonight to realize this rhythm. And my prayer for you is that that maybe your relationship would actually become a relationship tonight. That your identity would be given to you maybe for the first time. That you would be able to recognize the stuff that you felt has created this gap and see that Jesus is like, all right, let's go. You could run to him and that you in this worship tonight would rejoice. Rejoice in what Jesus has done and what it means that he wants you to come to him, that he loves you that he took sin so seriously that he literally died for your sin. And then some people in this room, you've never had that moment. You may have been in services where what's about to happen happened, and you felt like you have some baggage and rehab needed for this moment, an altar call or a salvation call or raising your hand or praying a prayer, whatever that context is for you. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm in a church service right now. I don't like this stuff. I don't agree with this stuff. And yet something deep inside of you is like, but I want to be healed and I want to be whole. And I think that's only possible through Jesus. And tonight, it's your moment. Your moment for that rhythm to begin. It's time for you to know who you are because of who your Father is. It's time for you to recognize the stuff in your life that doesn't belong there. Because you're not defined by sin, you're defined by your Father's goodness. It's time for you to run home. And we'll all rejoice together.